This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello, and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Amy Birch, and this is our first episode of 2022. Thank you so much for listening. What a fun way to kick off the year. In fact, what better way to kick off the year than with this episode featuring poet, author, facilitator, teacher, trainer, Carrie Addington. In this conversation, we're going to talk about the four skills of daring facilitation based on Brene Brown's Daring Leadership book. We'll explore vulnerability, values, trust, and failure related to facilitation, life, and work. We really spend time defining this Andy Dillon quote that says, how we spend our day is how we spend our lives. So what are you going to illuminate this year? What are you going to illuminate today? This episode's going to help you define just that. I have been so excited for this winter release and cannot wait to hear what you think. Make sure you like and review us so this episode can get into more people's ears. If you want to join even more conversations with myself and the other host, patreon.com slash the illuminate pod. We'd love to see you join us over there. That's it for announcements. Let's dive in. Daring facilitation with my friend, Carrie Addington. Today on the illuminate podcast, I am joined by Carrie Addington. Hello, Carrie. Hi, Emmy. I'm so excited for this conversation today. You have the perfect name for an author. You know, I've heard that before. I'll take it. (laughs) Carrie Addington, poet, author, keynote speaker. How would you describe yourself, Carrie? Tell the listeners, who's Carrie Addington? Absolutely. Thanks, Emmy. I would say Carrie Addington is a writer, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, a speaker, a facilitator, a talent development professional, a strength-based coach. Uh, and someone who is obsessed with reorganizing the same space over and over and over. What do you mean by reorganizing the same space? Are you like a, a super Marie kondo person? Well, I don't know, but I definitely will to get my mind right. The spaces in my home organized help organize my mind. So okay. it is, I will be reorganizing the same closet every few weeks. Until it's perfect. Until and then do you stop? Um, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So let me ask, are you a, a strength-based coach? Like you coach athletes in strength training? I love that question. I mean, I get it a lot, uh, but a strength-based coach is actually a Clifton strength certified coach that works with individuals and organizations on really developing the talents of individuals. So their unique talents, their unique strengths, and really thinking about how to coach them through leveraging what they're naturally good at and managing around their weaknesses as opposed to focusing on what they're not that great at. Awesome. So it's like you walk into a situation and you look at the individuals in an organization or at a company and you say, you're good at this, this, and this, and we're going to make that shine. And while these might not be as strong as this, here's how we develop them. Absolutely. And so it's, it's 
developing the individual, developing teams, developing the organization. So, you know, if you're someone who is, I can imagine just in the little bit, I know you, Emmy, that you might be someone who is an achiever and who gets a lot of things done and loves that list. Just a little bit of a list lover over here. And it executes on that. And so it's, it's looking at that individual personality and thinking what projects and what work can I uh, put them in touch with that are going to allow their unique value to shine. And then also thinking about more holistically, how can they contribute to the team effort and how can I pair them with someone who gets uh, maybe in the cycle of being very strategic and thought oriented, but never actually pushes the project forward. That would be a nice pairing there to think about their unique talents and how they work together effectively. Do you get hired by individual companies or do you work with a company that sends you to all these places to do that training? Great question. So I did get my certification from Gallup organization, but I do individual. So it's mostly word of mouth where I'll go in and work with an individual at an organization. And then I might go in and work with a team. Um, So just hired independently to do that. Wow. Okay. How did you get into all of this? And we'll talk about writing in a second. That's like, I was going backwards up your list. (laughs) Tell me about how you got into all of this training trainers and strength-based coaching and all of that. Yeah. You know, I was actually working for Estee Lauder companies for their hair care brand, Bumble and Bumble. And I was a regional consultant and I loved the role and it was amazing, but I wasn't that good at it truly, because it was all focused on sales. And all I wanted to do was teach people things. So I'd go into these companies and I'm supposed to be talking about their profit and loss statement and, and how to improve their business. And instead I'm thinking about, you know, educating them on mindfulness and (laughs) not doing what the actual role was. And I had a mentor that heard me when I said I'm interested in doing education and then gave me my first opportunity. And that just catapulted me into this world of talent development, training and facilitation and naturally, which lends itself into coaching. That's so cool. Okay. Let's talk about writing. We're going to loop back to this in a second. Did you always want to be an author? Yeah. Yeah. From little, as a little girl, I would kind of hide away in my grandparents, it'd be the family event, all the family gatherings throughout the year. And then I would flip away into my grandfather's office and he had this old roll top banker's desk. And I would pretend that was my writing studio. And I would go in and write everything I could imagine uh, from, you know, song lyrics to stories and plays and poems. And it stuck. Did you go to school for that? I did. I got my master's in poetry. And you have an upcoming book. Well, yes, I have a book that I'm working on. So I have a memoir that I'm working on as well as a poetry manuscript. Uh, And then I also have a publication that I'm co-authoring. You know a little bit about that with um, some of my colleagues in my current role on training and facilitation. So that's so awesome. So it all ties together. You, mm-hmm. you're, you express yourself through your writing and then you take what you know and you put it into books and you go out and train people. Yeah. How, how did you find the place to, do you do it by yourself or do you work for bigger companies? How did you find that space and develop that confidence? In training and facilitation? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I again, it's that initial uh, opportunity where I said, I want to teach. And someone said, I will give you the opportunity and I will help you grow in that area. And that allowed me to see, hey, this is really what I want to do. This is kind of where I come alive and where I think I can have impact. And it allows me to play in language. As a writer, I like to play in language. And as a facilitator, I get to play in language. And it's all about communication. And it's all about opening up worlds for people just in different ways. And so from that first opportunity, I then said, I just want to know everything I can. So I enrolled in a couple training organizations and went through a few boot camps and really just talked to everyone I knew in the industry to find my way into the role that I have now, uh, which is with the Association for Talent Development. And so I've been there for almost five years and have had the lovely privilege of working with a variety of industries. We do public programs, educational programs across many different disciplines, but really I specialize in teaching trainers how to train. Wow, what a cool story. And this is airing right after the start of the new year. So I was really excited to bring you on because I feel that's a time when people are reflecting on what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? And you've given us so many tips just in sharing your story that it starts with telling people what you're looking for, sharing what your hopes are and what your goals might be, trying it out, finding someone to give you the opportunity, and then jumping in and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And you know, that's so true. And just to just to tie that even closer to the strengths coaching as well. I was actually, I hired um, one of my friends and colleagues to coach me because I did feel a little bit lost. And I found myself going, I'm not doing the right thing in this sales position and I want something different, but I, I wasn't able to articulate what that was. And that strengths coaching with her allowed me to really dig into what it is I want. And I had created an entire vision of exactly what I wanted. And that is the role that I have currently at ATD. And that was something that, you know, being able to move through what my unique value was and really dig into that and really think of what am I looking for at the end of this? Do I just want any training position or do I want a training position that allows me to do virtual training and face-to-face training and deliver globally? you know, what are the specific and really get down to the specifics of what I was looking for. So you met with someone, you asked questions, you, you invested in yourself to then dream big. And now that dream is coming into existence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you've shared how you've gotten here. Now we're the main reason I asked you on, not because I, I mean, I love your story, (laughs) but you just gave an amazing keynote speech Mm -hmm. And before we even talk about the title and the concept of the speech, can you please tell us the story of the setup of this keynote speaking situation? (laughs) Yeah, the setup was what what hooked you and your interest, but it was was so interesting. It was such a challenge and such a growth opportunity. It was something I and my co-presenter had never done before, Uh, but it was a hybrid experience. It was an international conference and recognizing that the conference attendees were not all quite comfortable coming back in person. We had to accommodate in-person attendees as well as those dialing in from around the world. And so with that, the setup was you had your main speaker stages and the speakers had headsets and earpieces in, and that's how we could hear one another. 
and our moderator that was kind of sitting behind the curtain, like the great Oz, the voice that would come from nowhere, but was not physically present. And we would have this discussion, but in the room itself, it was filled with hundreds of attendees and it was cricket. You could hear a pen drop in that room because they have earpieces in and we have earpieces in and we can only, they can only hear what the speakers are saying through the headsets. Uh, just to make it more complicated, uh, the, there are three stages that are simultaneously running. So as a participant, Emmy, you could be in the audience and you could be sitting in front of me and toggle to the stage next to me and be listening to them. So you may be in front of me, but you may not be listening to me. That sounds so stressful. It was a little stressful, but also a really good time. It was once you kind of got the hang of it, it was it was great. And keeping in mind that you also have uh, learners that you can't see, that you need to create an equitable experience for, even though they're not physically in front of you, uh, because they're dialing in virtually. So it requires you to really capture the attention, and you do that through visuals, and and the visuals that you would use, and how can you have different interaction tools uh, that will keep people. Um, engaged. So if they've toggled over to another stage to listen to that presenter, then they see a captivating image behind you and they, that might pull them back. So it's constantly thinking of how do I keep the participants and the attendees engaged? It's like real life social media. What, what yeah. catches your eye next? Yeah. And maintain. Like, oh, yes. The maintaining, do you click mm -hmm. through? It's like the social dilemma movie. Yeah. Did you feel like it was successful? Uh, it was, and I'll tell you why. Our goal, my my speak, my uh, co-presenter, co-speaker, and I, uh, we always set an intention. It's something I learned from her long ago as a mentor and peer, uh, and we were very clear that before we walked out there, we set the intention. We wanted to have impact, and we wanted to have fun, and that was achieved. Uh, you know, the attendance was high, which was always good. The interaction and engagement was high. And uh, we had people staying. So that's another sign. As you see people kind of moving and shifting physically in the space or departing to go to something else because maybe they've gotten what they wanted out of your session, um, they stayed. So, and by the measures that we had hoped for and aimed for in this session, uh, it was quite interactive and quite engaging. So we were pleased. Yeah. I like that your intentions were both to be impactful mm -hmm. and to have fun. Because mm -hmm. I think so often when we're doing something really important, that fun factor sometimes falls off the radar. Yeah. And I'm glad you said to impact and to have fun. Mm -hmm. All right. So now that we've set the stage and the listener has heard <laughs> all about this insane keynote that you had to do and that it was successful, yeah. what was the topic of your amazing keynote presentation? The topic was daring facilitation, which is based on the work by Dr. Brene Brown in daring leadership. So it is taking those same principles that she discusses in daring leadership and applying them to facilitation. All right, let's start with defining a couple things ourselves. How do you define facilitation? Great. So I get this question all the time. I'll start with what it isn't. So trainers, 
sometimes we'll use facilitation techniques, but trainers train on new processes, new procedures, new software. Uh, so if you have a customer call center and they have a new 10-step process, you will have someone that trains them on that process. It's very content specific and there is that outcome that they are achieving at the end. Uh, Similarly, facilitation is, is, can be aligned to outcome-based trainings, uh, but facilitation is really going where the learner wants you to go or needs you to go. It's helping learners make connections, not only to content, but to relevance within their own world and their behavior on the job. So it's really saying, I have my content and I have my structure and I have my plan, and I am also willing and ready to abandon it at any moment to serve the learner. I'm glad you defined it that way because as an educator for my real job, we always have to define what's the difference between educating and facilitating the conversation in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I love that visual of it's where the learner needs to go and how do we get out of that way. Mm -hmm. One more thing that needs to find before we go on. Yes. How do you define a leader or what does it mean to be in a leadership role? As a facilitator, I'm going to tell you a story to answer that question. Yes, I love story time. I came to this topic and this idea of daring facilitation as something that we needed to design and develop and deliver from taking daring leadership. So Brene Brown has a workshop that she has selected facilitators Um, And my co-speaker is trained uh, by Dr. Brene Brown. And so I learned from her and took this daring leadership workshop. And I was really in a position professionally where I was moving from, you know, buddy to boss. I was moving from being a peer to people to now I'm leading that team. And so I wanted to do that very intentionally. So I took this daring leadership course. And for three days, we came together and did some really really important, just human work, forget leadership, just good human work, and then really applied it to leadership. And the whole time I'm sitting there hearing all of these concepts and what's being said, and I am immediately thinking of moments in facilitation and facilitating learning where that pops up. And so I started to draw this natural correlation between leadership and facilitation. And that's where this kind of idea was born out of. And so you know, for me, a leader is uh, a leader is someone who is daring and who is courageous and who facilitates not only a space but a moment for individuals and teams to just bring their best selves to whatever they're doing. Uh, I take a very specific coaching approach. I'm an empathetic leader. I'm a service-minded leader. Uh, just to use those terms. And it's, it's really, to me, leadership is happening sometimes in those moments where we're not defining it as leadership. And those are kind of the magical nuggets that happen. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so in those magical moments Mm -hmm. when we're not necessarily leading. I tell my students all the time that you don't have a choice. People are going to see every action you make. So lead with every step you take. Absolutely. There is always someone who can learn from every step. And I love that this is what we get to talk about today. Yeah. So now that we kind of have an idea, a visual, thanks to your story of what it means to be a leader, and we'll, I'm hoping, develop our own thoughts on that by the end, walk us through these aspects of daring facilitation. Sure. So in Brene Brown's work in daring leadership, there are four skill sets that she works through. And 
so my co-speaker and I decided we were going to take those four skill sets and really start to think about how do you start to operationalize this into specific behaviors in your facilitation. So really taking that concept from leadership and saying, what does that look like? And how can we give practical examples of how to use this in your day-to-day? -day? So for instance, if we're moving through those four skill sets, uh, and again, this comes from Dr. Brown's work in Daring Leadership. The first one is, you know, rumbling with vulnerability. So facilitation is all about being vulnerable. You are don't always know what's coming next. You don't know what group dynamics you need to manage. You don't know the challenging behavior or situation that may be presented uh, in the classroom. And so it's really thinking of how can I show up in a way that's really most authentically me and in service to the learning event. And that requires some self-compassion and empathy. So we took the rumbling with vulnerability during leadership skill and said, if we operationalize that into a specific facilitation behavior, it is modeling self-compassion and empathy. And what that looks like is not saying, I am 20 minutes over my timing schedule. That is a rookie mistake. I shouldn't be doing that. I've been doing this training for weeks and just kind of beating yourself up about it. Mm -hmm. It's rather going, okay, you're over by time. Why did that happen? It happened for the learner. So I'm going to let that one go. I'll do it better next time. It's the same thing that we extend to learners. We extend self-compassion or we extend compassion and empathy towards the learner, but to reverse that and give that to ourselves uh, so that we can show up very authentically, that's important. What would empathy look like in that situation? I, I can hear the self-compassion example. What would an empathetic example look like? You know, I think that's a great question. I think when I think of an empathy example in facilitation, so I am extremely empathetic in the term, almost to a fault. I will do all the people-centered things and just abandon content every chance I can get. Uh, I will not extend that empathy towards myself. I will not say you didn't get the materials you needed in time, but look what you did do with this. I will just tell myself what did not happen. So that's not extending empathy to myself. I have to consider the holistic picture of what has kind of compromised or even challenged my own performance, right? And that's not making excuses, that's seeing the whole picture. So as we rumble with vulnerability, mm -hmm. it's as leaders, we bring that those qualities to the facilitation table, however that looks like. And we rumble through that in how we lead the facilitation, how we react at the facilitation, and how we react on, reflect on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just to add on to that, right, there's, there's this concept that Daring Leadership speaks about, which is that armoring up and this kind of armor that goes up and we start to feel something happening, right? We start to react to someone who might be, uh, a participant might be challenging the validity of the content and what we had just said about the content. And you might be feeling that physiological tell in your body where you start to armor up and you start to get flushed or you start to kind of clench your fists a little bit because you're starting to react to that. That armor is that signal of there's an opportunity here for you to soften and mm -hmm. really just be open to what's being communicated and also be, be gentle with yourself. 
Oh, I, I love that example because mm-hmm. we all get in that situation, even if it's just riding your car home from your commute and yep. you get in traffic and you feel the heat. Oh, I love that. Okay, so first we rumble with vulnerability and we do that through self-compassion and empathy. Yep. What's the second big chunk? The second skill set is living into our values. And this is so transformational. This is This was easily the most difficult part of the work when I read the book, Daring Leadership, and when I took the course, it it's really about identifying your top two values and living into them and really operationalizing them in specific behaviors and skills. And that's what we wanted to do in terms of facilitation. So what that can look like is, for instance, my top two values are integrity and creativity. So what that looks like in terms of my facilitation is being specific about going, okay, I, because integrity is one of my top values, I want to make sure that I am telling 100% truthful stories. I don't want to exaggerate a story. I don't want to make it work for my learners, which can sometimes happen. I want to be extremely accurate in what I'm saying. It could also mean I've told you I'm going to send you something at the end of the session, so I'm actually going to send you something. It also could look like, integrity can also look like it's the end of the of a day of two-day training. We're all tired. There's one more activity, and that activity is in two parts, and it requires a lot of me in my facilitation to make people successful. They're tired. I'm tired. I could just ask a couple questions about the content and skip the activity. My integrity is going to say, choose what's right over what's comfortable. Oh, yes. And that is, yeah, absolutely. It's not comfortable for me. It's going to take a lot out of me, but it's not about me in facilitation. It's about those individuals that I'm working with and the outcomes that we're hoping to reach together. And so if you identify these values and you're very clear about these values, they can guide you in facilitation in a moment where you might be making a different decision. How do we identify what our values are? Great question. So if you have not picked up the book, Daring Leadership, you absolutely should. I kind of believe it's probably on your bookshelf. Uh, (laughs) I see you. Totally on my bookshelf. Totally (laughs) read it last August before school started. Yeah, it's a great place to get you started. Um, I believe it, you know, is out on her website as well as a resource and tool. And so it's this collective list of like 80 some values. And you can always create your own, but it's good to start with that list and think about let's narrow it down in small chunks. And so narrowing it down to, you know, 10 to 15, then narrowing it down to five, then going, okay, I want two. And why two? Everyone asks me, why two? Why can't I have more than two? Because that's difficult to get it narrowed down to just two. The two are the things that, these are the values that you use whenever you are at your best. These are the values that define you when you are trying to make a hard decision. That's what you lean on to help you make the decision. So that helps you to narrow it down to two. And you need two and two only because in the moment of facilitation, as you can attest to, you've 
got so many things happening inside of your head that you're multitasking and you're thinking about a timing and what's coming next as you're managing a challenge, as you're directing an activity, as you're connecting information and people to content, there's a lot happening all at once. So to have just two allows us to very quickly pivot in the moment that we need. Will the two ever change? My opinion is yes. How and when? Great question. I, I, there are some people that will argue with me on that, by the way. <laughs> My co-speaker might argue with me on that. They should be pretty foundational to who you are. So they shouldn't change often. Uh, but just like uh, the work I do in strengths coaching, those don't change that often either. They are pretty definitive to who you are. However, really life-changing traumatic events that rock your belief system will impact your values or in this case, your strength. So it, it's really quite dependent on those circumstantial kind of details, but they should be pretty core to who you are in many respects. So it's, it needs to span kind of professional and personal, right? So that it doesn't change. You start to identify your top two values, just who you are professionally. That might not translate to who you are personally. So you have to have that, that big picture. That section of the book was what rattled me the most when I read it the first time was do your values align personally and professionally? And I love that statement. It's it's such a great portion of the book, but I love how you're taking it and putting it in facilitation with yeah. something as simple as what's your decision-making piece? And you use these two values to make decisions, which we all know when facilitating conversations at home, conversations at work, leading a training, teaching yeah. children, all of the, you have to have those pillars. And I love how you've illustrated them for us, especially since this is the beginning of the year. What a yeah. great time to evaluate your, your values. values. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've rumpled with vulnerability. We've we established our two pillar values. We're living into them. Yep. And then from there, we're going to start braving trust. That's the third skill set that Daring Leadership defines. And braving is actually an acronym. Uh, and that acronym is going to move you through uh, different things that you want to establish to build trust amongst a group, a team, a set of individuals. Uh, and so there's seven behaviors that build trust in relationships and when facilitating in this course. And so just to move through that acronym, uh, braving is for boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity. Okay, so let's do this one at a time. Boundaries. <laughs> Can you please define boundaries? It is okay if you need to step out of the classroom for a moment to take a call. It is not okay to compromise the entire learning experience for others by taking the call in the classroom. Said for a 12-year-old, it is okay to have a cell phone in your backpack in case of an emergency before or after school. It is not okay to have said cell phone out during class. Absolutely. Yes, transferred it. How does that work in personal life too? Let's say you're having a conversation with your family or your partner. How does that work there? It is okay for you to give me advice when I ask for advice. It is not okay for you to offer advice before I've had a chance to fully explain the situation. Oh, 
These are great. Okay. So we've set boundaries. We've set boundaries. Reliability is, it kind of speaks to that integrity piece. It's just doing what you say you're going to do. You're reliable. Don't say say yes, unless it's yes. And if it's a maybe, it's not a yes. That's also very quotable. (laughs) Don't say yes. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Accountability. So when you goof up, own it. In facilitation, we're going to say the wrong thing. So this might look like I have given you a very detailed process to get you started in an activity. And I, I get the dazed glances and all the body language is saying, I don't understand what's next. In which case, I'm just going to own it and go, that, that wasn't very clear, was it? Great. Let's try this again. We're human. So there's this, this misnomer um, amongst a lot of the individuals that I work with that they need to be really close to perfect. Oh, yeah, they, no. can't, they can't make that mistake and they can't admit to that mistake nonetheless in front of them. They just have to kind of keep going so that they maintain that credibility. Uh, you gain more credibility by saying that was not clear and let me try again. And that's such, it gives you space to breathe, to Absolutely. show up and be perfect when you're facilitating. Facilitating in and of itself is challenging. Leading is challenging, but to be able to give yourself space to, oops, let me try giving that statement again which is really just behavior modeling for them that they can do the same thing. Here is an okay, comfortable space for you to fail and to fail better. Oh, I fail better. I love it. So we're accountable. What's vault? Uh, Keeping confidences. Oh yeah. Secret holders. Yeah. If someone comes up to me at the, in a a course and, you know, of course I work with adults and they say, I am really uncomfortable with so-and-so. And and could you tell them to kind of maybe not answer? Cause I, all the time, because they're kind of dominating the conversation. I'm going to just ask them to please have that conversation themselves. And I'm also not going to talk about it. I'm going to encourage them not to talk about it. Talk directly to that person. What a great way to facilitate that with adults. That's mm-hmm. a little more challenging when you have younger people or how would that work outside of a work situation? What would a vault situation look like in a family or a partnership? It's a social setting. Okay. And it's one of those where maybe I've talked to you, Emmy, and I've given you information and we go around a couple other friends and you say, why don't you tell the rest of the group what you were telling me about? Oh, that's the terrible thing when that happens. That's and you're a real friend. maybe a hundred percent positive, but I didn't tell them. So that's where as a vault, especially in facilitation, we want to make sure that we are not handling those vault conversations for people that we're encouraging them to handle them themselves. So keeping confidences, keeping confidences, but also empowering people to have the hard conversations. Yeah. You're again, you're establishing a space of safety. Okay, cool. Thanks for that definition. What is the I? I was integrity. So again, choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy. I love that definition. Choosing what's right versus what's fun, fast, and easy. Good call. Right out of daring leadership. Yes. Can't claim it as my own. (laughs) Love it. I'll quote it. And then non-judgment is the N. So that's just mostly staying in the present. So maybe I'm working with an organization or an individual that I've worked with before. And there was an experience or a moment or a conversation that really didn't land well. Maybe they showed up late to the training the last time I had a training and then didn't do any of the work that they needed to do for the training to be successful. 
It's hard I not to be judgy when you come back. It's so hard not to bring that and carry that into the new experience. But I like to use non-judgment and boundaries together in this moment. And really thinking of, okay, what's okay is that I know that information. So how can I support them better? What's not okay is making assumptions on their behalf because of previous experiences. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of use those two together to make non-judgment. That's fantastic. So non-judgment in a really clear way. And that happens. Think of every family situation. You walk in and you've been hurt before. Don't bring that in and make assumptions, but use your boundaries to have the conversation. Yeah. The space of where the learning takes place is itself a boundary. Like, right? Explain that. What I mean is if we are in a classroom, instructor-led and face-to-face, that's physical space that we are sharing, I'm imagining almost a fence boundary around us so that whatever occurred outside of that space in that moment of time, that allows me to be very present. Mm -hmm. Everything else does not come into what happens in this learning environment unless it's a situation where it needs to because it informs the learning. And the same can happen at at the dinner table. Yeah, same at the dinner table, same in a virtual classroom. It's, it's a physical space where you are presently in that moment. A physical space where you are presently. So being present, that's such a great tool too. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the last one? Yeah, generosity. Such a good one to end on too. I love this one. Uh, assuming good intentions. So on the part of your learners, on the part of yourself, everyone's doing their best. No one wakes up and says, I really want to challenge Emmy today. I'm hoping I can do that. <laughs> They're not. Uh, it's really thinking about assuming good intentions on the part of every single learner or every single person. That's much harder in the personal realm, by the way. It is so hard. But my favorite Brene Brown quote is, everybody's doing the best they can. And they then my second not. favorite is, you can't hate someone up close. Yeah, that's a great one too. And yeah. I think that's really important for this generosity statement. Yeah. Generosity. There's so much, there's so many layers to individuals and we don't get to see nearly as many as we would like to, to facilitate them effectively. So just keeping that in mind. In the prior episode I recorded um, for the Illuminate podcast, one of the things the guest said was, we are all human and we will have human attributes. And this was something she had learned from us, a philosopher and from Dr. Maya Angelou. And it's so true in this space. We're humans. We're gonna make we're gonna make mistakes, but you've given us acronyms through this example of how to braving braving trust, how to yeah. become into the space and be vulnerable and rumble with that and set intentions and values, but then how to get through that space when it's uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. What's our fourth pillar? Our fourth skill set is learning to rise. And this is such an important one in facilitation. So when we talk about learning to rise, we talk about that inevitable fail, right? That we are going to fail. It's not about if, especially in facilitation. It's about when. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not failing, you're probably doing what's safe and comfortable. You're not being- Oh, we have a quote for that. Choose what's right over what's comfortable. Yes. Yeah. I love that you wrote that down. Yeah, it's it's really about exactly that. And then thinking of 
how do I rise from that moment? So in daring facilitation, again, it's not about if you're going to fail, it's about when you fail. Otherwise, you're just playing it too safe. You're not trying new things, which means you're not showing up in service of the learners. Your impact is potentially diminished. So our skill set for this is, I have to kind of take us back to that, that keynote because it was quite, quite impactful. Our skill set for this in facilitation is don't make up stories and don't believe your stories. So that comes straight from daring leadership. You know, don't make up these stories about yourself. I'm a horrible facilitator. No one's enjoying this. I'm not teaching them anything. This is a waste of everyone's time. That kind of inner dialogue that really creeps in and starts to diminish what you're doing in that moment. Those are the stories we make up about ourselves. And so we had a tool. Uh, Mentimeter, if you're familiar with it. Love uh, Mentimeter. We love use it in like all my presentations. Yeah, Mentimeter is great. And so we had used it to create a word cloud. And for this skill set, we wanted to ask everyone virtually and in person to populate with in one or two words, what stories are you making up about yourself as it pertains to facilitation? And such a goosebump kind of stomach drop moment to see the negative talk that was happening in the entire group as this word cloud populated in real time on the screen. And you're seeing just the really mean and, and discouraging things that we tell ourselves. And also simultaneously going, I'm not the only one that does that. Yes. And so it was such an impactful moment. And so you know, we kind of just all agreed to leave those stories in the word cloud and let it kind of dissipate in, <laughs> over time and really stop telling ourselves those stories because they're not productive and they're not doing us good. And that's easier said than done. But it's, it's quite interesting to even start to target towards different pockets of your life. Yes. What stories do I make up about myself in terms of uh, my relationship with finances or my ability to do math or my ability to run or my my cooking skills or my relationship skills. You can really apply this to a lot of different facets to really say, what stories am I making up? And, and let's not believe those. I'm going to say this again a little louder for those in the back, because this could be your New Year's resolution and it could be re like doable. Stop telling yourself stories you are capable and you are confident. And if you don't believe it, get some help. Yeah, absolutely. And talk to the people around you who will tell you all the stories that they believe about you. They're quite oh, in conflict. That's awesome. Is that what you have people do when they're working through their negative stories? Yeah. So in that in that particular moment, we, we decided to leave them in the word cloud. But when I do uh, workshops and I uncover these kinds of things in coaching sessions, uh, it's definitely going, okay, what's, what's the opposite of that? Like, if you're telling yourself that you're bad at X, then what's the opposite of that? And what does good look like? So that at the very least, we're starting to turn it into a visualization exercise. Oh, that's going to be a whole nother conversation. That's incredible. Yeah. All right, so we've rumbled with vulnerability, yep. we've lived into our values, we've, we're braving trust, and we're learning to rise because we're all going to stumble and fall. Yeah. How did you tie all this together? What was the nugget of wisdom you left at the end of your keynote? Well, 
this is the funniest story. And this is so typical of my personality, but I left them with a quote from a writer and then I misstated the quote. (laughs) Well, let's get it right here. I got you. Oh, it was almost modeling during facilitation. Yes. Right. But it was an Annie Dillard quote and it was how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. And so if we spend our lives facilitating and teaching and helping others learn and grow, wouldn't it be amazing if we could show up more authentically, more confidently, more vulnerably, vulnerably, and just really in a more daring fashion? Why not do that? And so that's really what we kind of charged the group with doing and really set out to hope to inspire a little bit. I bet you've inspired some listeners to do that just as much. I hope so. It inspired us to do it. You know, we we were d- modeling daring with the technology. We were modeling daring um, with mistaking the quote and saying it wrong. Right? It, it's just it's we're not we're not aiming for perfection. We're aiming for impact. Impact and fun. And fun. <laughs> Carrie, this has been so much fun, and I know that you've made such an impact on me. I can't believe it's already time for the end of show questions. Oh, that flew by. Yeah, it did. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing that story. Okay, let's dive into some questions. Okay. What is the best, most recent book that you have read other than Daring Leadership, which we should probably tell the listeners to read as well? Absolutely. You need to read it. Uh, But, you know, so this is interesting. I have a stack sitting beside me to reference because – you know this, I think I've told you this, that I don't read a book at a time. I read books in categories. So I have five categories. So I have five books that I'm kind of alternating at any given time, which I'm sure says a lot about my personality. But I usually have a poetry book, a fiction book, a professional book, a craft, craft of writing book, and a nonfiction book. So I'm going to go down that list for you. I also want you to know this is why we're friends. I'm like 99.9% sure this right here just solidified our friendship. It just feels like much more, I just made progress this way. Uh, Poetry, I am reading uh, Tiana Clark's Equilibrium. And I read this over and over whenever I really want to kind of feel brave. And so that's a great book. You need to check her out. Okay. Uh, my craft book is the art, it's from the Art of series. It's called The Art of Daring, Risk, Restlessness, and Imagination. So we're seeing a theme. Okay. <laughs> My professional book is, uh, it is The Advice Trap. It, it is also a follow-up to The Coaching Habit. And what I love about this is The Advice Trap is all about being humble, staying curious, and changing the way you lead forever. So it really keeps us from jumping to advice and fixing and problem solving. Yes. Uh, Fiction. I am reading Raven Leilani's Luster right now. I've just started, so I can't even give you too much, but it's very intriguing. And my nonfiction pick is uh, Molly McCulley Brown's Places I've Taken My Body, which is a series of essays. She's uh, an amazing poet and also an essayist now. Wow, I'm going to link all of those because I'm going to put all of them in my reading list. I love them. And they tie in so great to today's topic too. Yeah. That's, I see a theme in your life. (laughs) 
very much so. All right, who or what is illuminating or inspiring you right now? You know, I'd have to say my team that I lead is inspiring me right now. This week and these past few days, just to see the collaboration and the teamwork and to see the plans that we've put in place for them to just soar and really capture, communicate, and build these programs that they're working on and really have the impact that we had hoped for them to have. So I would say my team. I love that that's also such a beautiful reflection of your ability to facilitate and to lead. Mm -hmm. So you're a a model of this daring leadership working. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. I hope so. What is an organization that you would like to illuminate in this conversation? Yeah, this is a tough one to narrow it down, but one that has probably been in my heart, no pun intended, the longest is uh, Camp Taylor, which is a kid's heart camp out of California. And their whole approach is they're committed to expanding resources and community, and they do camps for um, the underserved pediatric cardiac community. And so it's really uh, bringing kids together to experience childhood um, in the ways that they can with those that are experiencing the same challenges. How did you find this organization? Uh, I found them because I was going to a holiday party and everyone had to identify an organization. And at this time, I had just had my own heart issues and had a pacemaker implanted at 21. And I thought, I want to do something connected to this. And I found a story about them. And I was so moved by the story that I decided to use that organization. And it's the one I go to for many things. I love that. And you just kind of gradually tossed in there, pacemaker at 21, and look at you changing the world. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you. What is the message that you want to send to the world? What do you want to leave the listener with as we wrap up today? Tell your story. Tell your story. And when you do it, just grab all the pillows, turn off the lights, turn down the sound, and amplify your voice. Because There's so many unique stories, so many valuable stories that don't get told. So whether it's writing it, whether it's telling it, whether it's facilitating stories, whatever it may be, um, amazing, amazing things happen when we connect with words and language. Carrie, I feel so inspired after this conversation. I'm so glad we were able to illuminate your keynote, Daring Facilitation, and just your story of how you've gotten into where you are. If the listener wants to find you on social media or any other platform, how should they find you? Yeah, on Instagram, I am Carrie Addington Poet. And you can also visit me at my website, CarrieAddington.com. A lot of writing and links to both professional and personal writing there. Awesome. I'll link those in the show notes. This has been such a joy. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. And thanks for all you're doing with this podcast. It's really great. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope that you feel empowered with skills and tools to be the daring facilitator that you can be. I'm really thankful that you listened to this podcast. And on behalf of all of the hosts, we appreciate you. If you want to join us for more, we have really awesome book club episodes and bonus features over at patreon.com slash the illuminate pod. We'd love for you to join our community over there. 
If nothing else, take a second this new year and like and review us. That's how more people find interesting facts like this. I can't wait to hear what you take away from this episode. Find us on social media, the Illuminate podcast, and feel free to reach out to me directly, Dr. Emmy B on Instagram. Whatever you're doing, I hope that you are illuminating the world because you're amazing. In case no one told you today, I hope you have a great one. Thanks again for listening.